song will be very true in our hearts tonight. I pray that your will is done in our lives. I mean, just make us a people of just that statement, that your will be done. I mean, whatever you want us to, to give away, whatever you want us to partake in, whatever you want us to do, I pray that you'll just make us a people of yes. Just yes, God. Yes, Father. Whatever you say, it's done. Father, that's my prayer tonight. And I pray for these kids as they go down. Man, just work in their hearts, increase their knowledge of you, help them to step into the reality a bit more of who you are. Help their minds to dwell in what is good. Help their hearts to really be formed after you and help their actions to match that as well. Just go with them all their lives. And just continue this movement that you've started in them. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, youth, have a great time. We'll see you later. Thank you, sir. Well, good evening. If you don't know me, second stay. If you don't know me, my name's Tara. Uh, I help lead the women's ministry here. My husband is an elder here. I would love the opportunity to meet you if I haven't met you. Um, as always, I'm so excited to bring the message tonight. Anytime I teach up here, I do so under the authority of the elders and in submission to them and in submission to the doctrine set forth by them. I'm so thankful that they give me the opportunity to do this from time to time. Tonight, I actually get to kick off a brand new sermon series. I've never got to do that before, so I am excited about that. Over the next few Wednesday nights, we're going to be going over a new series that we're calling Suit Up suit up and it's going to be focusing on there we go on the armor of God on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 God's word tells us that whether we realize it or not we are living in the midst of a continual spiritual battle it's going on all around us and because this is a very real battle the Lord has given us armor that we can put on so that we can live prepared and ready for the battles that we are going to face every day. Um, I'll be honest with you. I have probably studied more for this message than any other message that I've ever taught. There's a lot of opinions and thoughts on, on spiritual warfare and things like that, so I've really spent some time studying. And I want to start off tonight by just reading this passage and letting it speak for itself um, before we dive in and unpack it together. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 18 together. It should be on the screens as well. It says this. Paul is talking here, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this, keep in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, I pray that you would help us to do just that tonight. God, help us to be alert Father, help us to understand what your word says and to accept it as truth and to apply it to our lives. God, thank you that you care so much about us, that you give us armor to protect us for the things that come our way. God, I pray that you would just be here tonight, that your your Holy Spirit would speak tonight to our hearts. And we thank you that you are faithful to do that. And we ask all this in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. So God's word clearly tells us that we're in a battle, right? And God's word clearly tells us that we have an enemy, and it's not each other. Our enemy, his name is the devil or Satan. Uh, I know that there's probably some of us in here who feel more comfortable talking about this subject than others of us in here. Some of us probably grew up with a church background where it was more normal to talk about Satan or Satan's schemes or demons. And others of us probably came from a background where we are totally not comfortable talking about this. We don't feel like we've ever been taught about this and we never think about these sort of things. That's okay. Whatever background you come from tonight, that's okay. I think what the Lord is doing tonight is he's giving us the opportunity to just look at what his word says, accept it as truth, regardless of whether or not it makes us feel super comfortable. So I wanted to start out tonight by talking about who our enemy is in a little more detail, because I think sometimes a lot of us may not know. The devil Satan, he is a fallen angel. Isaiah 14 tells us that he, um, at once, he was kind of higher in the hierarchy of angels, but he desired to be equal with God. Some say even higher than God. And so he was cast out of heaven along with angels underneath him. 1 Peter 5.8 describes him as prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Peter wrote that after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, that he is still prowling around. John 8, 44 says that Satan is a murderer and the father of all lies. Y'all, he is the ultimate deceiver. And he has other fallen angels under his authority, and they work, in, they work together in opposition of the Lord and the Lord's will and the Lord's people. Now, I don't think that this is something that we need to talk about all the time. I don't think this is something that we need to teach about all the time. I think we need to talk about this in probably the ratio that Jesus talked about it, right? Because he's the model. He's the standard. And Jesus didn't talk about it all the time. I don't think it's beneficial to go to unbelievers and just start talking about Satan and demons all the time. But I do think as believers, and on Wednesday night, this is kind of our core group, it is important to be educated about these things and to know what we're talking about. So that's why we're doing this tonight, not because this is something we always need to talk about, But this is what the scripture had in it tonight. So we're going to address it a little bit. 
when it comes to spiritual warfare and the enemy, there are lots of different opinions as to how these battles actually work. Some people believe that, that the battles that we are facing in our everyday lives, they think that we are, we're not really facing the devil directly. We are more facing the schemes and, and the, the channels that the devil has put into place. We are kind of facing the effects of just living in a fallen and simple world, but we don't face the devil directly. Some people say that. Others believe that we are facing the devil and powers of darkness all the time. It's around every corner. First, I want to say that I do believe there is an element of mystery to this. I think the Lord only told us what he wanted us to know. Because I honestly, I don't think we could handle knowing all of it. So I don't think we need to try to know all of it. But the Bible does give us some pretty good insights as to how this works. For that reason, I can't side with the first view. The view that says that, that, that we are never directly involved with the enemy, that he never directly opposes us. I just can't side with that view because I think in Scripture we see cases where, where that's not the case. Um, take Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, the enemy, he was present. He was actively involved in that situation, right? Well, in John 13, it says that Satan entered Judas at Jesus' betrayal. It's another instance of when the enemy was directly involved in that situation. Or what about Job? Well, Job is the ultimate example. If you're not familiar with the story of Job, the enemy asks God for permission to sift Job like wheat. And then the enemy goes about the process of doing so. So um, I think the devil is intimately at work in our lives from time to time. I think that because I think that's what the Bible teaches us. I think that because I have lived that. Um, Most of you in here, you know my testimony. Uh, I think there's only been one time in my life when I've ever felt like I was in spiritual warfare. After Shortly after I began walking in this calling, almost immediately after I began walking in this calling five years ago, uh, I started teaching. I started beginning a women's ministry here at the church, and, and I feel like the enemy came after me like he never had before. I don't think he liked the direction I was headed. I don't think he liked the trajectory that my life was going towards. And I was vulnerable to his attacks, and he knew that. And y'all, he is good at what he does. And he is more deceptive than I ever realized. And I didn't have my armor on. I was not suited up. And so I wasn't ready. And so when he came at me in that season, it ended up with me being just in a devastating crippling cycle of sin and depression. It was the worst stage of my life. So when I teach this tonight, it is coming from a place of, I don't want us to go through that. I don't want us to be in that again. So we need to suit up together. The word wrestle in verse 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not, some translations may say struggle. We do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the forces of evil. That word in the original language, wrestle or struggle, It's not used anywhere else in scripture but in this verse. And it is a word that was often used in the first century to describe the sport of wrestling. An intense one-on-one battle filled with manipulation and strategy. So my view, based on scripture, and this is a view that a lot of others hold as well, is that it's a combination of those two things. There are times when the enemy targets us intimately and closely 
when he sees uh, an opportunity, a vulnerability, or there's a reason that he wants to oppose us, those things do happen. But more often than not, I also think that the daily things we face are, are the repercussions of just living in a sin-filled world. They're battling against our own sin-filled desires. I don't think the majority of the time the devil is just out to get us around every corner. So if you leave here tonight and you get a flat tire, I don't think you need to be like, the devil's out to get me tonight. You know, that's probably just a nail in the road or something like that. We don't want to give him more credit than he deserves, right? You know, you may hear people saying that statement all the time, the devil's after me. Like, um, no, like it's probably just your own sinful nature. It's probably just the repercussions of living in a sinful world. So we don't want to give him more credit than he deserves. I think it's a combination of both things. But the bottom line is... There is a battle going on around us every single day, whether it's from the enemy or whether it's inside of ourselves. There's a battle going on. And Paul is writing in Ephesians to us to let us know that we need to be ready for this. He says that we don't have to just lay down defenseless against our enemies, like fearful of his attacks. He tells us to stand firm. How many times did he say stand in those verses? He's like, get up. Stand firm and clothe yourself in the armor of God. Whose armor is it? It's God's. It's not our armor. It's God's armor, but we get to put it on. Uh, I drop my girls off at school and pick them up almost every single day. Carline. Y'all, Carline, if you are not in this season of life or if you've forgotten what the season of life is like, Carline takes a really long time. It feels like it lasts forever. I really think I spend about 10% of my life right now just sitting in the car in Carline. It really is. It's the way it works. It's so slow, especially when it rains. When it rains, for whatever reason, it is just even slower. I think it's because kids are getting out of their car and they're like, trying to figure out how to get their umbrella up or their rain jacket on. And then parents, for some reason, they want to linger and watch and make sure they get in the door okay, as if the rain is somehow going to wash them away. You know, it's just, it's slower when it rains. Well, when it rains, I try my best to always make sure my girls have their rain jackets. I make sure they have them on before. So we don't hold up the car line like all those other people. So they got their rain jackets on and they're ready to get out. I make sure they have them with them. But often, on these rainy days, it's not only raining when I drop them off in the morning, it is also raining when I pick them up in the afternoon. And I cannot tell you the number of times I pull up to that car line post and I see my two girls standing there getting absolutely drenched with those rain jackets zipped up safely inside of their backpacks. They didn't put them on. They had them right there with them. They didn't put them on. They get in the car and I'm like, girls... I packed you those rain jackets for a reason. Why didn't you put them on? Y'all, the Lord, he gives us this armor for a reason, right? The weapons that we need, they are right here at our disposal. But we got to put them on. we got to put them on. I wonder sometimes how many times he has watched us just getting pelted by attacks, whether they come from within or without, and he just sees us getting hit, and he's like, oh, just put it on. It's right there for you. Just put it on. The armor Paul describes in Ephesians 6, it's composed of, of six different pieces, seven, some say including prayer. Uh, I think they're going to be on the screen. We have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, 
shoes prepared with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Head to toe. Y'all, head to toe, everything we need, offensive and defensive, the Lord provides it all. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to go over each of these pieces of armor one at a time, and we're going to start putting them on together. All right, does that sound good? So tonight, I'm going to briefly cover the very first piece that Paul mentions, the belt of truth. The belt of truth, y'all. Belts are important. They're important. I lived through the very unfortunate fashion era during my middle school years where uh, boys really wanted to sag their pants like ridiculously low. Do y'all remember this? Anybody ever remember Jinko jeans? Anybody? Yeah, Jinko jeans. Um, They look like that, okay? Except I couldn't show pictures of what they actually look like, but they're very wide leg jeans that were just sagging really low. I literally... I remember boys in my class having to like walk to get their pencil sharpened, holding up their jeans. It was just the most unfortunate fashion era because if they didn't hold them up, and there were times when they would just drop right down. It was a, it was a bad situation. It was a devastating f- fashion error. I'm hoping this one never like cycles again, you know. But I learned during that era that belts can be very important. Paul knew how important belts were too. He did. So he tells us, hey, you better get your belt on. When it comes to armor during Paul's era, the belt was especially important because it held together other pieces of armor. The the shield was often attached to the belt, and the sword was attached to the belt. So the belt had to be fastened securely in order to hold the other pieces of armor in place. I think that's why he calls the belt he wants us to put on the belt of truth. Because truth will hold a lot of things in place in our lives. The other pieces that we put on in this armor, it's contingent upon us holding to the right truth. You can't put on the shield of faith unless your faith is in the right truth, right? You can't put on the helmet of salvation unless you know the truth of the gospel. So the belt of truth is the very first armor, I think, piece of armor that I think Paul lists because it's foundational to a lot of the other pieces. With the world today, um, it wants to tell us that there, there is no truth, that there is no absolute truth. Have you heard that before? There is no absolute truth, which I think is funny because in order for that to be true, that would have to be an absolute truth, right? You know, so it's, it's a strange argument they make. But they say, you've got your truth, and I've got my truth. So really, whatever you and I choose to be true is truth. As ludicrous and nonsensical as that sounds, this is a common idea that is prevalent in our society today. And I think this is a perfect example of a scheme from the enemy, the way he can twist a lie and then pervade it through cultures. I want us to know tonight that that is not what we believe. As believers, we know truth. We know absolute truth, and his name is Jesus, right? John 14, 16, Jesus answered the crowd and he said, I am the way, the, and the life. Jesus is the truth. All truth is found in him and all truth resonates from him. So in order to put on the belt of truth, who do we have to put on? <coughs> Jesus. Jesus. 
Anyone in here know what this is? It's a weightlifting belt. Thank you. I'm about to look really silly, but I'm going somewhere with this. <clears throat> People wear these belts when they lift weights in order to lift heavier amounts without injury, right? Because this protects your core. And it's really important to protect your core because your core provides you with stability and control. So weightlifters wear these belts to lift heavier amounts of weight and, and not injure themselves. Well, the belt of truth, it works a lot like these weightlifting belts. We're able to carry a lot heavier things. We're able to face a lot heavier attacks when we have our belt, our belt of truth fastened tightly because it protects our core. And truth, it provides us stability and control so that when the, when the battles come our way, so that we're not tossed about like every wave of the sea because we got our belt on, our core is protected, and we are firm and stable and in control. During these times of attack, the enemy, one of his main taxes is deception because he knows if he can shake our truth, he can get to our core and cause us greater injury, y'all, and that is his goal. So we got to put our belt on. And not just loosely. If, we, if I put this on loosely, that's not going to do me any good, right? We can't just be in this ever so often, come to church ever so often, because then we just got a loose belt. A loose belt does nothing for us. But when we put on truth day in and day out, when, when the attacks come our way, we're able to rec recognize those attacks as being exactly what they are. You all have to bear with me. I've had some voice issues as of late. We'll just get through that together. Um, but we're able to recognize his attacks as being just what they are, deception. Deception. And when we're able to recognize the attacks and know that they are deception, we can hold tightly to the truth and keep our core protected. But we need our belt on, and we need it fastened. Because the enemy, he's good at what he does. He's good at it. I'll, I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. Turn to John 8.44. <coughs> John 8, 44. Jesus, he's talking to religious people here. Jesus wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Listen to what he says to them. And then listen to how he describes the enemy. <clears throat> he says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for is, there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Lying is his native language. Think about that for a second. English is my native language. It's probably most of your native languages. So I don't have to think about English before I speak it. I don't have to like formulate a thought in my brain and then decide which words I'm going to use and speak it. Now, if I was trying to speak Spanish, I would definitely have to do that. Um, but not English because it's my native tongue. It's what I know. So it comes out easily and clearly and directly. Lying, deception is what God's word says is the enemy's native language. That means he doesn't even have to think about it. That means he can spin deception so much greater than we think that he can. Y'all, sometimes I think we just think we're naive. 
I know I was naive when I went through that struggle in my life. I thought I knew truth. I grew up in church. I knew truth, but I wasn't having it coming at me as regularly as I needed to. So when the enemy started twisting things that I didn't expect, it was harder for me to to see them and to recognize them because he is good at it. So tonight, I want to give us the opportunity to fasten our belt a little bit tighter so that we can recognize when the enemy tries to deceive us or when we just try to deceive ourselves. When our own sinful nature tries to deceive ourselves. A pastor named John Rittenhouse, he came up with a list of common lies that we believe. I want to give him credit for this list. I'm going to talk about them in my own words. But these are lies that the enemy can twist so well that they almost seem like truth. (coughs) The first one is this. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy heard that one before? It almost seems true. Um, When I put my hand up to my ear, I want you to say, that's not truth. Okay, we're going to do this several times tonight, some audience participation in case you're full and getting sleepy. You're going to say, that's not truth, all right? God wants me to be happy. Good job. God is not nearly as concerned with your happiness as he is with your holiness. Now don't get me wrong, God God desires that you be filled with the joy of the Lord, but he knows that your, your joy will ultimately come from following him and obeying him, not from just satisfying your every fleeting desire and, and selfish indulgence. God doesn't just want you to be happy, he wants to give you a hope and a future, and sometimes choosing happiness in the moment does not lead to a hope and a future, Right? The truth is, what truth says, is that in this life we will face trials and tribulations. And that every day we're supposed to pick up our cross daily and follow after him. That is not always a happy and easy road, right? But it does lead to life abundantly. It does lead to the joy of the Lord. But that's a lie the enemy likes to twist that almost seems like truth. Number two, God is not really good. Sometimes when you face tragedy in your life, people that I love have almost been deceived by this one. Because when you face really hard things, it becomes all of a sudden really easy to believe something that you never thought you would believe before. And you start to think, maybe God is really not good. Say that's not truth. (coughs) Isn't it crazy That the enemy is the main culprit behind sin and death and destruction. But when we are affected by systems that he has actually set into place, he deceives us into blaming God for the things that he is actually behind. It's a lie. It's a lie. We live in the already not yet. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, Jesus has already defeated the enemy. He... He already has the victory, but he has not executed that final judgment just yet. The enemy, now he knows how the story is going to end, but in the meantime, y'all, he's still fighting. He is still fighting, and sometimes we are tragically affected by the systems he has put into place and by the things that he is doing, and he's trying to convince us that God is not good anymore. I learned something while I was preparing for this message. Did you know that throughout history, during battles... 
uh, it, it's a common thing that even though the, the enemy opponent knew that they were going to get defeated in the battle, instead of backing off, more often than not, that enemy opponent in real battles would just start fighting harder than ever when they knew their defeat was coming. Look, our enemy, he knows that he is defeated, but he is going down swinging, so we can't blame God for the work of the enemy in our lives, or for the results of just living in a fallen, sinful world. Y'all, God is good. He is good. And in the end, we will see that. We will know that beyond a shadow of a doubt if we don't today. Number three, I can't change. I can't change. I've always been this way, always going to be this way. Say, that's not true. But my dad always had a bad temper. My parents got divorced, so I'm going to probably get a divorce. My, my mom was always the negative voice in my family. I'm probably always going to be the negative voice in my family. Generational cycles can't be broken. The enemy loves when we listen to this lie because it just keeps us standing still. We just accept defeat before we've even started to fight. And we use it as a cop-out for not obeying the Lord and walking in the strength that he gives us. Because we just think we can't change. It's not what truth says. Truth says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then in Romans chapter 12, where am I? It says that we don't have to conform to the same old patterns, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Y'all, what renews our mind? This word does coming in, learning, being around each other. We can renew our minds. We don't have to be the same way we've always been. Praise God, y'all, that gives me hope. Because I do not want to be the same way I've always been. It's a lie. Number four, I'll be happy when. Hmm. I feel like I'm stepping on my own toes. I'll be happy when my kids are better behaved. I'll be happy when I get a better job. I'll be happy when we get a nicer house. I'll be happy when my husband treats me differently. I'll be happy. I'll be happy. Y'all, say it again. That's not true. That's not true. When we live in that constant state of longing, we just continue a constant state of longing. Truth says that we can be joyful right now. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Do you know when you can be in God's presence? Anytime. Any second of the day you can be in God's presence. And there is where there's fullness of joy. Not later. Right now. How many days are we missing out on without that fullness of joy? Because we're postponing joy that can't be postponed. We can't buy into the enemy's lie that we'll be happy later. Number five, it's too late. It's too late. I had my chance. I blew it. It's too late for me. Let's say it together. That's not true. That's not truth. No. Uh, Or what about this one? Maybe you're in here and it's the same lie, but maybe you're in here and you're getting... Up, I'm not going to make eye contact with anyone. Eyes are straight ahead. Maybe you're getting a little up there in age. Maybe you're not as young as you used to be. And you just start thinking, it's too late. It's too late. The Lord doesn't need me anymore. This church doesn't need me anymore. I'm just, I'm just dead weight. You know, I can't serve anymore. I can't do the things I used to do anymore. It's just, I once served the Lord, but now it's just too late. I'm just, I'm just getting older now. That's a lie. You know what truth says? 
I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 46, 4 says, Even to your old age and gray hair, I am he. I am he who sustains you. If he's done with you, why would he need to sustain you? You are still running your race. He is not finished with you yet. It is not too late. Regardless of your age, it says if we hope in the Lord, he will renew our strength, right? We can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not faint. If you are still here, you are still running. You are still finishing your race. And man, we need you. We need in this church, we need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need your leadership skills. We need your voice. We need you. It is not too late for you. Man, we value you here. We need you here. Number six, love is tolerant. Love is tolerant. The enemy wants us to believe that real love will tolerate any and all behavior. Say, that's not truth. That's not truth. But he loves for us to believe this, and sometimes we love to believe it ourselves. But it causes us a lot of times to say absolutely nothing as we are watching the people we love spiral downward into a cycle of sin that we know is going to be devastating for them. But we don't say anything because we buy into this lie that love is tolerant. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be seen as those Christians. Love is not tolerant. Do you know what truth says? 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says this. It says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love is glad when truth is spoken because love is truth. And man... The people that we love need us to speak love and truth, right? Number seven. I'm going to hit the rest of these really quickly. Um, Like, just a second. You can go ahead and spin them up there. It's okay as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. That's a lie. It always hurts someone, and it's usually you. Number eight. My past defines me. Y'all, that's a lie. That is under the blood of Jesus. That's a lie. Number nine. I need to be in control. That is exactly what you don't need to be, in control. That is a lie. Got one more up there? No. I can't be forgiven. I can't be forgiven. Y'all, the blood of Jesus says differently. That is a lie. There's some others I can think of off the top of my head. I'm alone. I don't have anybody. I'm alone. That's a devastating lie to start holding on to. Look around you. You are not alone. You are planted in a body of believers that love you and want to be there for you. You are not alone. You have a father who will never leave you or forsake you. That is what truth says. Some that the Lord that I've been battling with, some lies that I've been battling with, is that my value is determined by what I achieve. If I achieve, I'm valuable. If I don't achieve, I'm not valuable anymore, y'all. That is a lie. If we chase after those achievements, those accomplishments, and and somehow assert our value to that, that's a deep hole that will get you to nowhere quick. That's a lie. When I was in uh, a deep depression, the lie that I just kept hearing over and over again, maybe it was for myself, maybe it was from the enemy, but it was, this is never going to get better. You are never going to get through this. You're always going to feel just like this. And man, the enemy uses that one hard. Because if he can take your hope, he can take everything. And I just kept always, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. That is a lie. 
It's a lie. Y'all, the list could go on and on tonight. Worship team, you can come. We're going to end on a happier note after this. But the enemy, he's got so many lies up his sleeve. But as we start tightening our belt, we're able to start identifying them as being exactly what they are. As soon as they start being whispered into our ear, we can learn to shut them down and swat them away. Y'all, this is literally something I imagine in my mind. I want to give you something to take home with. When those lies, and yours may not be one that I mentioned tonight. It's probably not, but you know. You know what it is. And maybe you didn't until tonight because because the enemy has done such a good job twisting it and, and working it into this place of deception that you didn't even realize that you had bought into it. But now, when you do, when you go home, when that lie pops up in your mind, I verb I mentally picture myself swatting it down. You swat it down, and then you don't just stop there. You replace it with truth. You replace it, and then you hold on to that. Because when you've got your belt on, y'all, we don't have to fall for those lies anymore. Amen? Amen. Do you know why we can be so confident in our belt? Because it's not our belt. It's the armor of God. It's his belt, and his belt hasn't seen defeat one single time. Colossians 2.15 says that when Christ took our sins and nailed them to the cross, that he disarmed the powers and authorities, that he made a public spectacle out of them by triumphing over them with the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is what he did. The enemy can go down swinging, y'all, all he wants to, but the truth is the battle has already been won. So Paul isn't telling us in Ephesians 6 to put on our armor and go out and win the battle. No, it's already been won. We put on our armor and we stand in the victory that has already been bought by the blood of Jesus. We don't cower. We don't run scared. We don't walk defeated. We stand firm and we stand ready knowing that the time is coming When the Son of Man is going to come again in a great cloud of glory and power to execute final judgment over the enemy once and for all. One of the best ways that we can tighten up our belt is through prayer. It's actually often seen as the seventh armor that we put on. It's the best way tighten it up. Maybe tonight you've been battling some lies in your head and you've been battling them hard. My advice to you is put on the armor of God, but then ask the Lord to fight for you. We don't fight for ourselves. We put it on, but he does the fighting for us. If that's you, I encourage you, ask him to fight for you tonight. Or maybe there's someone that you love and they're fighting this battle. Man, fight for them too. Come and ask the Lord to fight for them to whatever it is that's on your heart. Let's stand and pray and then we'll worship together. Father, I praise you, God, that you reign victorious. God, hallelujah. Father, that we don't have to walk as a defeated people. God, attacks may come our way, but we walk in the victory that was purchased in your blood. God, we praise you now for that victory. Lord, help us to start putting on our belt, to stop lying in defeat, cowering in defeat. God, have victory over our minds tonight.
We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.